0: Welcome to With You in the NICU, a podcast for infant patients' parents and practitioners. Each episode aims to last as long as a pumping session for mom, or you could listen to several while you practice skin-to-skin with baby. With You in the NICU is produced by the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation. This episode is made possible by presenting sponsor Natus, with support from Chronically Simple. Your host for With You in the NICU is Jenna Morton a parenting journalist and mother of two preemie boys.
1: Welcome to this episode of With You in the NICU. I'm very excited for today's guest. Kate Robson is a woman that I've known related to the world of premature babies in Canada for a long time. Uh, If you've been involved in that world, you might know her name from the board of the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation. You might have known her in her role as a family support specialist at Sunnybrook Hospital, dealing with the NICU families. And maybe you know her from her current role, which has moved into therapy. And she is just a fantastic, fantastic support for everyone she meets. And I'm so happy that she's here to share some of her story with us. Hi, Kate.
2: Oh, hi, Jenna. I th- th- Thank you. That is the loveliest introduction and now, 10 seconds into this, I feel like I have tears in my eyes.
1: Thank you.
2: That's a new record, even for me.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I feel very privileged to be that record holder. <laughs> I think before we, we jump into all the the many, many things we could talk about, we want people to understand just a little bit about your story and
2: how personal
1: all of this work is to you.
2: Um. Yeah, so for me, everything started uh, about 15 years ago, I guess, when my first baby uh, came at 25 weeks, weighing 500 grams. And I didn't know about babies like this. I didn't know that babies like this could be even possible. And so my husband and I were plunged into this world that felt very impossible, very confusing, also beautiful. You know, those beautiful people in the NICU who are waiting to take care of her and to take care of us. That was a community I never knew about, and I'm so grateful for it. And we had a very tough time in our first NICU stay because babies that small end up being really interesting. (laughs) And yeah, and when I was when we got home, my husband and I kind of looked at each other and we said, one and done, never again. We cannot do this again. We both have bad memories. <laughs> so a couple of years later, we felt brave enough. Uh, our daughter, our first daughter was was doing fairly well. And we thought, okay, maybe we can go back into the arena. No. And we ended up having a 32-weeker who is now 12. What was interesting about that experience was that, uh, so with my first daughter, she'd been at two different NICUs and my third, or we ended up at our third NICU with my second daughter, so I feel like I've tasted a lot of care in a lot of different places. Uh, it was also a good experience for me because when I'd had my very tiny 25-weeker, um, I was so in that experience, I didn't have a lot of room to appreciate what parents of older preemies were going through. I envied them, frankly. You know, I saw, I saw the parents of the 32 and 34-weekers, and I thought, oh, I wish that could have been us. When I was the parent of the 32-weeker, I was stressed. I mean, she was a much less medically complex baby, but my stress level was still very high. And I think when I moved into working in, a, in an NICU, it, having those different experiences helped me hold empathy for anybody who ends up in an NICU, because I think it's hard for all parents, whether you're going to be there for six months or six days. It's really hard. I was just going to
1: say, I think that's such an important point for people to really take in, and and understand that, that yeah, there's no comparison. There's no comparison you can make from whether it's the, the medical state of your child or anything like that, your emotions are your emotions in that moment. And there, there there is a similarity to all of our experiences, no matter how different the situation looks.
2: Exactly. And you also can't know from looking at somebody what they're carrying, what they're dealing with the complexities of their life outside the NICU, you know? So that is something that I hold onto uh, even in my work now, just thinking that, that everybody coming in here uh, is carrying something really heavy and they all deserve space and empathy and kindness and compassion. Um, Yeah. So now my kids are old, (laughs) they're 14 and 12 and to them, um, they find the idea that they stayed in the nICU kind of this interesting story. Uh, it shows up in our present lives in a way. you know my oldest has had uh, you know some issues uh, with mental health and that she manages very beautifully with mindfulness and and strategies like that, and even you know, things like ADhd um but for them it's a story, so I realized. For my husband and myself, it was something that was very transformative. For them, it's something that's mildly interesting, but not more interesting than Minecraft.
1: <laughs> it, it is. It that part of the journey fascinates me, and we've we've touched on it in some of our podcast episodes and talking with you know people like Kimberly McCray, who was a preemie, and how it impacts her life now. Because it is. It's a very different kind of journey for the preemie than it is for the parents. And it's hard, I think, sometimes for us as the parents to find that, that distance and that space between the two things.
2: Absolutely. Oh, I love how you said that, because it's that finding space around it that, for me, has been very transformative. And uh, we, we ended up doing a project in our unit. And we're still in the midst of it. It's a study that uses acceptance commitment therapy or acceptance commitment training to support families when they're in the hospital with their babies. And it was interesting. I think we started about three years ago. Being exposed to this uh, changed my life. That's like a big thing to say, but it feels really, really true. And because what we were doing in this program with our families is that we were encouraging people to really connect with what is meaningful for you right not as what's meaningful in the hospital not what's meaningful for the doctors and nurses around you although that's important sure but what is meaningful for you about your life what is important to you what what meaning do you want to attach to this experience and and we really work on creating space and choice and flexibility around that right what i realized when we were doing all the training for this i realized that this is something I had not done myself, right? I had, I had taken on these layers of meaning. Uh, and what I mean by that is that I had kept with me fear and anxiety and worry from those days, and I was still letting it play a role in my life that didn't actually connect in a way that was useful for my kids or for myself. Does this make sense? Yeah. Like I realized that, all, along with all the great things I learned in the in the NICU, how to be an advocate for my baby and my child and my family, how to um, how to maintain good relationships with teams who were there to help my family, those are the things that I I could keep and that would that would carry forward and be useful in the rest of my life. But the other things that I kept, it was a kind of fear and worry that I think I mean my kids are fine. I'm not going to guilt myself too much over this, but it's important for me to notice this is something that I was doing, right? So I was very worried about, you know, we live in a big city and I was kind of worried about my kids taking, I mean, we took public transit as a family, but their peers were doing things on their own independently. And I, I was getting in the way of that. Once I noticed this, I was able to take a step back and work very closely with my kids and think about what's meaningful for them. What do, you know, at their ages in their communities, what do they want to be doing? And I was able to finally get out of their way. And it felt very profound for me. And I see that in the families we work with that by having these conversations when we're in the unit about creating these moments for mindfulness, about creating these moments for finding meaning in your present experience, that these. Moments that feel authentic to you right to to acknowledge that the burden of being in an nICU even a like we have a single room family nICU here it's very nice, but you're still parenting in public right when you 're in the hospital you're still performing for people, and when we really kind of took that on as a source of anxiety for our families, um, it seemed really transformative for a lot of people that they realized, hey, I can be in this environment but i can still be the kind of parent that i always dreamed of being that i wanted to be and
1: that just sounds so powerful and and to put it in that that frame of thinking it as you know parenting as a performance you're in public even when yes you might have you know even a single room like you're saying but it is still in public
2: oh yeah and it's it's a thread that is so common you know when you talk with parents about it and most NICU parents, like we love our nurses and our RTs and our doctors. And, you know, yes, like there can be ups and downs in relationships, but there's so much gratitude and affection and true deep respect for those people who are there to catch us and to help us. Uh, so it's, it's not about it's not a relational difficulty with the people. It's just a reality of you're going through the hardest thing in your life ever. And there are always people around and those people are there to help but they're also witnessing it. And so that act of witnessing kind of changes how you might respond and and like I was always trying to be like the good little parent and do exactly what I was told and you know diaper the right way and hold the right way and ask for things in the nicest possible way. Now, those aren't probably so, you know, dramatically different behaviors than how it would be ordinarily, but but it was still a performance, right? Mm-hmm and i that was when when i started doing this training and we started doing the the stuff in the unit and i was just kind of like oh maybe i've been performing ever since <laughs> you know
1: think, yeah there there is that element of you 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 do get used to being watched in your parenting and yeah. yes, it it's hard to to let go of that feeling. And I think that's probably something that in especially in today's world, I think any parent kind of relates to that in terms of social media and everything else. But when you're physically in that fishbowl of the NICU, it, yeah. it, it is different and it is challenging to come out of that and to not approach every situation as a parent in that similar vein. You know, for us, you know, our boys are in their second year of public school now. And it's hard kind of not to fall back into that same, like you expect the teachers to almost act the same way that the NICU team did in terms of like, oh, we're all going to be this team and we're all parenting together. And and you kind of, it's very easy to fall back into some of those patterns and roles.
2: Yeah, it really is. And that's where, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, no. um, but I think the point is, is that to just be, to just notice it, you know, to just be aware, you know, am I being in this moment, you know, am I connecting with my values? Am I connecting with my family's values? Am I being who I want to be? Um, And maybe that goes along with who you're expected to be in that moment. Maybe it doesn't, but until we bring our own awareness to it, it's very hard to know. Why did I do this? Why am I doing this? Why am I feeling this anxiety about being in this place? So I think that slowing down and paying attention has been so important. And and personally very transformative and I see it in the parents who are getting the chance to to you know I'll say play with us because it feels very playful a lot of what we're doing but I see those transformations you know they're parents who you know a pattern that I see that I've seen over the years uh, a lot of parents leave then I see with this burden of of suffering right and and I see them come back I see them at, at events and and the process of making meaning of the experience can be very painful and that burden of fear and shame and guilt and worry can, people are carrying that for a long time. And I I feel like there's something we can do as a community to help each other with this, right? Where we can, first of all, just hold the feeling because our feelings are never wrong or right. They're, They're just there and they deserve space and they need to be noticed. And then figure out how do we then, The the job is not to get rid of the feeling because you can't do that. It's sort of that whole thing about like if I told you not to think about pink elephants, you're immediately going to think of a pink elephant. So we can't tell people not to feel certain ways or not to think certain ways, but we can ask them to pay attention. How is this showing up in your life? And is it interfering with stuff you want to do? And when you notice this collision between your feelings and what you want to do, what might you be able to bring to that so that you can... Choose a bit differently and open up some space around those feelings, right? So I'm seeing parents do things that I just think are so amazing, so brave, you know, that um, they're realizing, you know, hey, I've been in the NICU and I haven't connected with any friends for a long time and that's really important to me, so I'm going to make that appointment and I'm going to go see my girlfriends and they do it, right? Right. Um, they get back to working out, if that's important to them. They make date nights with their partner. They're they're carving out space for their own needs, even in this chaotic, demanding landscape of the NICU. And I think that's so amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's powerful. You said that word powerful earlier, and that really resonated with me. It is powerful to be able to take back something uh, that's yours out of this whole experience.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's very fascinating to me the way you've your journey and how you've gone from being the parent then being, you know, an an advocate and a support for other parents. And then, you know, again, moving into now really helping in a therapeutic way, in a therapist role. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about some of some of what you're you're helping with now.
2: Well. So I loved this acceptance commitment therapy or ACT. I loved that so much. And so I thought, you know, and I'm 47, but, you know, it's never too late to <laughs> to go back to school. Right. So I loved it so much. And I thought this feels important to me. This feels um, really meaningful. Not that the work I, that I was doing before wasn't meaningful. I've been working here for almost 10 years and I do so much great stuff with families, and I've gotten to know the most amazing people over the years, and we celebrate together, and we dress babies up in Halloween costumes, and we have a great time. But there was something about this that was really calling to me. So I, I went back to school, and I'm and I'm still in process. I'm, I'm studying to become a psychotherapist. I now see clients in, under supervision, and I love it. And I realized, and part of why I wanted to do that is because I was recognizing that in the families that you know, we're working with, people are also coming into the NICU with heavy burdens of things. You know, people who've maybe been through years of infertility, uh, people who are who are carrying a lot of grief around a lot of things. And there isn't, in most NICUs, there isn't a lot of mental health support, right? And And I don't say that to slight. Social workers are my favorite people on the planet and they do great work, but they're also so busy because they're taking care of so much in most of the NICUs that I've been to or been a part of. They're, they're carrying a, a heavy burden themselves. So I thought, you know, this is something I think I could learn how to do. And I've never felt that really strong sense of calling before, but I really felt it with this, that this is something I wanted to know how to do. So I went back to school and it is amazing. It's 10,000% harder than I thought it would be. Like academics has been an area where I've been like, oh yeah, tap tap, I can write a paper. This isn't about that psychotherapy school is about authenticity and showing up and doing hard work and being with people in tough places and yes there's lots of theory and lots of reading and lots of papers but the the hard stuff is going into yourself and thinking about what have I been avoiding for the last 47 years (laughs) so so for anybody who wants to go to psychotherapy school you know go to psychotherapy school, but just be prepared that it's going to be really hard
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um but yeah, and so so I'm finding that working you know it's changed how I work with families in that i've i think something that can be true in the n i c u is that that medical issues often not always but often can be fixed, right they can do things to cure something or to change something. And sometimes in medical environments, when people have emotions come up or feelings come up or there's conflict that comes up, we bring that, as caregivers, we can bring that same kind of fix it mentality to the emotions. And I think I used to do that, where somebody would be saying, I'm feeling this way, and I would be trying to move them out of that feeling or try to convince them that they weren't feeling that way. And what I've learned is don't do that. Don't do that to people because we, we have the right to feel what we're feeling. And in fact, we need to notice it and to name it and to, to understand it. And that if, if what we're always, if we're always being pushed out of how we're feeling, what we're going to do is repress it and push it down. And that's where it's going to take up space in our life in a way that probably isn't going to be that helpful, right? It will, it will cause us fear and worry and anxiety and shame. So that's probably the thing that that my coursework and my practice as a – my private practice as a therapist, that's what's changed the work that I do here, where now I just spend time just being with people and giving them that safety of just being able to talk. So I'm not not doing therapy in the unit. I'm still here as a peer supporter, but it's changed the way that I do it, and I'm no longer trying to fix anything. I'm just focusing on being with. Mm And it's, it's, it is, I think it, I think it is helpful for people because to feel like parents feel such a burden of guilt anyway, and to feel guilty about reasonable feelings. One of the most pernicious and damaging things that happens in popular culture is this sort of idea of positive thinking that, you know, um, if you, if you, you know, I hear people saying this in the unit all the time, that oh, you don't let yourself think negative thoughts because your baby needs you to be positive. And it's sort of like, but then where do those negative thoughts go? Where do those scary thoughts go, right? They go somewhere and they're going to show up in your behaviors and they're going to show up in you not being able to sleep, you know? So we need to give people space where they can talk about their fears and then we can work on helping them create a bit of space around that fear so that it's no longer, I am terrified that my baby's going to die. But it can be like, I'm noticing that I'm having that fear. Right. And it's a subtle difference, but it's an important one because one is sort of like a punch in the face. And the other is sort of like an object that you can put on a shelf and you can look at. Right. And being able to have a bit of distance from the fear is really important. But the only way you can do that is if you even notice it's there in the first place. So true. I think
1: it's, it, it, it's been so ingrained in us, I think, to to bottle those things up and to, instead of put them on the shelf and actually deal with them, just put them, you know, in a dark corner.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 I love I love what you do with metaphor. You, like, you take it and you just add these beautiful layers onto it. Yes. So, you know, we can, but we need to be, if we shove it away, it's going to come back, you know? So it's like, we have to look at it. We have to acknowledge that it's there. And then even with that pain and fear, still keep moving towards something that's important to us. And we can totally do that. It's it's very possible. And when the, the empowering feeling that comes up within you when you do that, that becomes another source of power and strength for you, right? So I think it's – that's what I see in, in parents who are kind of doing this work, that they're they're still in pain. They're still having hard days, but they are still connecting with stuff that's important to them. So it's very, very transformative. And you know, there's one other thing that I wanted to talk about that we're doing that I think is really cool. And for NICU parents who might be listening, I think this is something really useful and practical that, that, that they might be able to do right where they are right now. Um, and this is this idea of mindfulness moments. So, you know, I have been trying and failing at meditation for 32 years.
1: <laughs> I, I will love never your be.
2: Yeah, I, but I'm, I'm, and I'm going to keep trying and failing at meditation. Hopefully for another 32 years. It's okay that I'm not quote unquote good at it. Um, and I think that that's a, a gift that I've given myself. That it's like my brain doesn't really work that way, but it still is beneficial to me to just try and be in those mindful moments and to bring myself that kind of, you know, that kind of space. Um. But that's true for a lot of parents. And so I think sometimes, you know, people will, you know, read about mindfulness or meditation and kind of think, oh, this sounds really good. But then if you try and do this in a NICU, the NICU like it's not gonna work, right? (laughs) Because you you have a lot to do. You are cuddling your baby, you're pumping, you have to eat, you have to, you know, talk to the you have to be part of rounds, you have to talk to your nurses, you have to connect with family and friends, um, and and it's a noisy environment. So it's not really, you know, conducive to sitting down and zenning out for 45 minutes at a time, right? I just don't think, unless you have a well-established practice, I think that's going to be really hard to do. Yeah, so, and then then if we can't do it and we think it would be beneficial, then we feel guilty and blah, blah, blah. So what I think is sometimes more useful for people is to think, considering the context that I'm in right now, how can i get some of this into my life and so that's what we've been doing with families where we kind of think about um so when i'm kangarooing my baby maybe i really go deep into a sort of sensory exploration of what that feels like so i might run through my five senses i might think about what i can see in the room i can think about what do i feel through my hands when i'm holding my baby what does my breath feel like as it enters and exits my body? Um, can I push my feet into the floor and feel like what that feels like? If there are noises around, can I be open to just hearing them? Not worrying about them, not wondering, what is that beep? But just noticing that is a beep, that is a voice, that is the air system in the hospital. And so using your environment, using whatever environment you find yourself in to, to kind of steal back a moment of peace for yourself. And I think that the the grounding impact of that, so, you know, anytime you use your senses in a kind of coordinated way, it's very grounding. So if you're feeling panicked, if you're feeling very worried and you just take the time to like look around the room and identify what's something blue that I can see, what's something metal that I can see, how does it feel when I push my hands together, Any of those types of activities that connect you with your senses and with your body are very grounding and they can bring you some peace, right? Pumping. I'm thinking about all those pumping parents out there. You know, you've got 15 minutes, you're attached to a pump um, and I pumped for both my kids. I hated it, (laughs) but I did it. (laughs) But maybe we can, maybe we can be a bit subversive here. Maybe we can take that time and use the pump, like use the sound of the pump. Maybe we can pretend it's the ocean, you know, and really tune into the sound of that and give ourselves that kind of mindfulness opportunity. And it is absolutely okay for it not to be this perfect, you know, Zen experience. It's okay to be, have moments of anger pop up. It's okay to be distracted. What we want is just to be able to settle into a moment, to connect with our breath, to connect with our physical environment and to just, you know. So we think about that environment, you know. Um, so we, we, we cuddle our babies, we're pumping for our babies, uh, we might be eating, doing some mindful eating, just like really eating slowly, really taking the time to smell your food, to taste your food. These are all ways of getting these little oases of mindfulness into your day without committing to some practice that might not be achievable in that moment.
1: I think that that's such a fantastic thought for people to take away and to have that you don't have to have that perfect image of some deep meditation. You can find these little moments that can make a difference for you.
2: Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that I've noticed as a parent, too. You know, I used to put so much pressure on myself to have this sort of like perfect kind of day-long connection with my kids. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> and, and now I've realized that the, if, if I can show up and if I can connect with them, you know, if I can have like these moments of connection with them, that's enough. You know, can I tell you something super, it, I found it so healing to hear something that I learned in in my psychotherapy school and I would love to share it with you. Excellent. Okay. So, it's about the cycle of rupture and repair because I think something that a lot of NICU parents worry about is what is going to be the long-term impact on my baby of you know if we've been separated, right? So, if if I can't be at the at the hospital as much as I want to be and and I'm yeah, physically separated from my baby or maybe I've been stressed and I feel like I'm not connecting with my baby. Um and this is something that I carried a lot of pain about this for a long time. I am attached to my kids. We have actually, I think, a great relationship, although they drive me nuts sometimes. But, but it was a fear that I carried a long time. And I want to acknowledge that it's a reasonable fear. It's a reasonable worry. Of course, we're afraid of what this might do. But the other thing that we learned about, that I've been learning about, is that true relationships, authentic relationships, there's a cycle of rupture and repair in them. So what I mean is that no relationship can ever be perfect, whether it's between a parent and a child, or you know, two partners or friends. There will be moments of rupture, and then what really matters is showing up for the repair, right? So that being present, being authentic, um, and you know, in the in the in the NICU, I think this looks like um, being there when we can, doing as much kangaroo care as we can. Um, Being part of, you know, if there's something uncomfortable happening for a baby, like they're getting their vaccinations or, uh, you know, after eye exams, being there to give a physical presence when we can, that's repair. That's what repair looks like. And it's really powerful. And it also happens like when, you know, so many parents say to me when I see them after discharge... And when they have toddlers and toddlers, like they're so lovely, but they can be so hard, you know, (laughs) and they feel they feel so bad because it's like, oh, I've been so careful, but I got I was so tired today and I yelled at him. And I get that, like we feel so bad about that. But I also like there is such an opportunity there to really focus on the repair, to sit with your child and reconnect and say, yeah, this happened um, to apologize if you need to apologize to, to put it right and to focus on that reconnection. And that actually strengthens the relationship. So, so when I heard that, yeah, I felt this kind of, oh, yeah, it's okay. It's like this idea of the good enough parent. You know, I think it was a um, somebody, Winnicott, who talked about this, that we, we do not need to be perfect. We just need to be good enough. We need to show up. We need to know our kids. Our kids need to know that we have their back. That's good enough, right? So sometimes that feeling of like I can't be perfect, but I can be good enough. I think that can be a very freeing thought.
1: Well, and like you said, to to keep that in your head that you're showing up for the repair,
2: you, you can't yeah.
1: control. You can't control the the rupture part. Like that, those are going to happen, but you can always Absolutely. choose to show up for the repair.
2: Yeah, and that and that's an authentic relationship. And you're also showing your kid. By doing it authentically yourself, you're giving them a model for how to do it in their life. And that is really, really important.
1: And I think it's an important thing to keep in mind for partners who are going through a journey with a preemie, because there's there's a lot of opportunity there for rupture to happen within your relationship. Oh, yeah. But that's the part to focus on, to show up for the repair.
2: Yeah. I love that you said that, too, because I think this is something that we don't talk about It's, you know, the burden of hospitalization or things like this on relationships. And I know there's been some debunking of the statistics about how many relationships break up after NICUs and and hospitalization or diagnoses. And I don't know where the research is settled in that. I do think that, yeah, it can be a time of, of real rupture because people aren't behaving in ways that are familiar Uh, you're dealing with a lot of fear and panic and people aren't always their full true selves in those moments. What I do say to families when they're in the middle of it is, you know, as long as there aren't safety considerations, if you can just take a big deep breath and give each other a lot of room to not be perfect, identify your feelings, share your feelings. um, Absolutely. But also know that you can absolutely sit down with your partner after you go home and you can take a breath and you can be like okay let's talk let's figure this out because it may be that you don't have enough psychological space to do the work when your baby's in the hospital that may be not when it can happen so it's okay to make a date <laughs> for later to 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 remind each other you are important to me i'm important to you we can work this out it's okay that we've made mistakes. It's okay that we didn't agree on everything. What's important is how are we going to show up for each other now and how are we going to mutually repair? So I I think I'm really glad you brought that up because I don't think we talk about this enough.
1: Yeah. I think it's, it's a harder discussion to have than the one we have about ourselves and our child.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And one of the biggest causes of this rupture is this, that one partner or the other is trying to make their, their partner feel different. <laughs> so they don't, they're trying to move them out of their feelings into a different place. And they may be justified in that desire, but it's just not going to work, right? People have to be heard and seen where they are before they're capable of movement. So all of this that we do with our partners, which is like, I just want you to feel X. Um, it's fine for you to want that, but but it's not going to work. And I think that's really important that for people to remember that if you can just meet your partner and see them where they are, that's the most effective way to connect with them. And through connection comes change, not through yelling at somebody that they need to feel differently. That's not going to work.
1: Through connection comes change. That's a fantastic thought. And I think that that's the thought we're going to have to, uh, to leave it at for, for this chat. <laughs>
2: Can I say one super quick thing mm-hmm. just to the parents out there? Something that another parent said to me once, and, it, and it's really taken up a lot of good space for me, is that the story of your baby's birth is not going to be the story of your child's life or your family's life. Those things can be very separate. And you are the one who gets to choose the meaning of the story. And your child is the one who gets to choose the meaning of that story in his or her life. So the the birth story and the life story are different things and I think that's a really important thought to hold.
1: Always a pleasure to chat with you, Kate.
2: So nice to talk to you.
1: Thank you. Kate Robson is a Family Support Specialist at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto. She is a therapist, the mother of two preemies, and a board member of the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation.
0: With You in the NICU is created to keep pumping mothers and others company in and out of the NICU. It is produced for the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation by Jenna Morton and Tosh Taylor. Financial assistance is provided through education grants from presenting sponsor Natus with support from Chronically Simple. You can learn more about the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation by following them on Facebook or online at CP bf-fbpc.org.